Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 126 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, Simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at OneOuter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, back for another episode, and how are things? How, how's this week been? You're back settled at, at home in Lachlan, the land of multiple uh, time zones. Bullhead <laughs> City, Arizona. Yeah, yeah there. Uh, thank you for having me on, as per usual. Uh, Our pleasure. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm not going to lie, today I'm going to sound with a little less energy than normal, because... I, for 10 days after Montreal, I think it's been about 10 days, I've been eating a no car- no white carbs, no sugar, no... Uh, no good. <laughs> yeah, no grain, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, pretty much anything that looks really good, I can't eat. Uh, what I end up doing is I have, in the morning, I have some eggs and... Uh, some bacon or eggs and some sausage and I'm pretty much full for most of the day after that and then I I, I eat yogurt I eat plain yogurt I, I eat that for hunger pangs uh, at night maybe I'll cook some chicken uh, but that's about all I've been eating for 10 days and yesterday I had a record sales day off of something I didn't even think was going to be a thing there's days you're, okay, sweet, we launched this product. Okay, let's see what the sales numbers are like. I wasn't even doing that. I mentioned at the end of a email, I wrote an email, I thought it'd be funny, during Donald Trump's State of the Union that wasn't State of the Union. I read uh, this, and it was, I was going to touch on this for, for you. Oh, cool, uh, yeah, thank you. It was, uh, yeah. I, I read that, and it was going to say, like, if, you didn't, if you're not part of Alex's newsletter... Then sign up because that that was there was so much uh, gold in that that I read. You know that I just oh like, thank you wow. You know like even though I'm not doing a huge amount of playing just now, just like there's loads right. of free content. I mean that email you could probably sell for 150 dollars. <laughs> I probably if I put it into a video and I made a PowerPoint slide. Yeah, yeah, a state of the Poker Union by Alexander Fitzgerald, 30 bucks. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, but I, the thing about giving free content is Jonathan Little and I were having coffee in New York and talking about this. Uh, Jonathan Little showed up an hour late. 
uh, which, uh, what, what do you think happened? Do you think Jonathan Little's ever shown up late for anything <laughs> in his life? It's, uh, uh, we scheduled the time wrong. I have no idea who did what. I didn't even care. I was just reading the whole time. Uh, oh no, I have to read in a cafe in New York. But, uh, yeah, he, he shows up and he goes, I got to buy for us because I showed up late. I was like, I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. Like, I can, I can live with that, Jonathan Little, who makes $2 billion a second. Uh, but, yeah, we were talking about, I said something, I said about half the work I do is on spec, right? And for and I was just about to say, I was just ha- about to explain what that means, and he just retorts, yeah, probably more than half of what I do is for free still. Mm-hmm. Spec just... Yeah, it's it doesn't mean it's going to come out to anything. Speculation, speculative is what that's short for, right? And uh, but I really like writing the emails to everybody. I really like having an audience. I I really like getting feedback. I like that it's an email so that you get it as a personal message from me. And yeah, I did this thing, a state of the poker union. I thought it was funny as hell uh, just to do something like that. And to tell people poker's still pretty soft in mm-hmm. most most places. Oh, but yeah, at the end of it, I said, oh, by the way, guys, the next webinar, this is just a fun thing for everybody who read all the way to the bottom. Uh, uh, Master the Flop is going to be the next webinar. It's going to be about out in about six weeks. If you want to buy it, it's going to be 400 at the end, but you know, just for kicks and giggles, I'll I'll give it to you for 150 if uh you're one of the first 10 people, right? And I I I assumed it was going to be the same four people that buy everything the second it's announced. And the thing is if that product's going to be $400 once it comes out, I will run a sale six months, nine months later, and it will be 200. It will never be 150 uh, mm-hmm. ever again. That's just that. That's just for the same guys that purchase every single webinar the second it runs out. Well, anyway, I wake up and uh, 20, 20 people bought it at that mm-hmm. price point, right? And I was just, what? I was very confused because it was a little note, right? And then, well, I told people the first 10, but yeah, you know, if you guys want to give me money sight unseen, I'm not one to stand in the way of that. So, yeah, 150 You guys, a hey, one-outer listeners, you can still get it. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, I decided I'm going to have a little celebration. So I go down. So I took my, I took my mother to Laughlin, Nevada to see a movie. Um... I forgot that my debit card had been stolen, so I actually only had the cash on me. Uh, I was trying to take her to dinner and a movie, so I ate Mexican food, uh, nearly killed myself, because that's a great way to break your diet, and just no carbs, no carbs, no carbs, all the carbs in the world flushing through your body, right? And... uh yeah, and uh, then I realized my debit card didn't work, so I couldn't take my mother to the movie. So I had to call Carlos to come pick us up, like I needed a ride home from school. And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, with uh, 
uh, I'm feeling pretty crappy today <laughs> because I ate like that. It's amazing how much your diet changes as you get older, don't you think, Barry? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that whole thing when you're a kid, you just eat anything. And then yeah, when you're an you're adult, just it's actually fuel for your body, and it depends on that fuel. It's, like, brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird once you... What's his name? Scott Adams, the guy from Dilbert, believes people have two different theories for how their body works. One is the big bag of magic theory which is you eat whatever you feel like eating and your body will feel however you want to feel. Now, he didn't say this, but it occurred to me, this is how we get to know our bodies in childhood because in childhood you can eat Mexican food and then go run around for three hours, or at least that was my childhood. I, I don't know about kids these days with their, uh, what did Bill Belichick call it, snap face and <laughs> whatever that whatever they call it. But, uh... Yeah, that's how you experience your body as a kid, is a big bo a big bag of magic. And then you get older and you realize your body's more like a programmable computer. And Mexican food is my favorite type of food. I'm probably not going to eat it again for another nine months because this is screwing me up the next day to have eaten Mexican food last night, which is so weird because it makes me wonder... How many times I was just poisoning my energy, my positivity, my libido, everything with just a bad diet before that I had no... Oh, and Scott Adams' theory is if you look at your body as a programmable computer, you will always eat the right thing because cheese likely won't make you feel that much worse, but if you eat a Snickers bar... It's going to make you feel pretty crappy at some point. And as long as you realize you're pressing a button that says five minutes of euphoria, 25 minutes of crap, a lifetime of regret, Snickers bar. And I think you realize, okay, I don't want to press that button again. But yeah, you know, everything's good here. Uh, just living in Bullhead City, uh, Arizona, there's... Uh, I, I don't think most of my neighbors do meth now, but they certainly have tried meth at some point in their life. Uh, it's, uh, it, no, it's a nice place. Uh, everybody's really nice. There's not really a whole lot to do here. Uh, hence the meth. Hence the meth, yeah, hence the meth. Well, I, there's not a whole lot to do in Alaska, and people just smoke weed. Like, I, 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 I wish that was a bit more of the situation around here, because... Yeah, Bullhead City's fine. Uh, I'm not... I, I've written 10 articles in the last week. I've done, oh, God knows how many lessons, 12 lessons. Uh, yesterday, I shot something with the Latvian hero, Riyards Dobelis, for YouTube, so that's going to be up. I was Twitch streaming. I've been staying busy, but uh, I'm just hungry to... I'm hungry to do something a little different than my day job. Uh, my day job is amazing. It gives me good money. I love to study poker. I can't believe it's my job to do it on my own. But just like ESPN analysts get, they have to branch out at some point. I, I feel uh, it's time to branch out. I have my New York trip coming up, and there I'm just... Essentially, I'm hanging out with friends, and I'm just going to be writing the whole time, and I'm trying to 
it's it's time to self-publish some books. I ha- I have a bunch of essays I wrote just about coming back to the United States and uh yeah, I'm I'm looking to publish those and it are just about the last 10 years of uh traveling the world as a traveling American poker professional first in the Bush era, then in the Obama era and being caught in random places without money, uh, uh, making hundreds of thousands in one day, having it turn to nothing, and, you know. Yeah. And, Who would have uh, known it would have been President Trump that would bring you back to America? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the definite. <laughs> he, is, uh, he is cashing his ticket, econo- economic nationalism, and he is... Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets reelected after... When I'm seeing these speeches he does, it's clear he knows how to play the game. And the Democrats are so wildly out of touch, some of these people. They, they had, okay, here is our response to Donald Trump, right? And they shot this video. It was a Democrat from Kentucky. Uh, just kind of an older guy giving his view. I, I didn't pay attention to it. All I could hear the New York liberals going was, oh my God, it's not a new guy doing the Democratic push. And I was thinking, this is why you guys lost the election, is because 80% of the country are just people in the middle of the country who don't, they're, they're trying to keep their job, they're trying to pay their rent, and you, you guys are talking about, I need some new blood, I need, you know... I need someone like the Oscar winner, you know, <laughs> like uh, I need a transsexual, uh, what, uh, black, gay, whatever, right? I, and that's all well and good, but um, having someone from their neighborhood talk to them is not a bad thing either. That's not I, – I don't get why I, – I, I, honestly, man, I'm not a – Everybody knows that I'm not a Democrat, so I don't like Donald Trump. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not a European nationalist, so I do not like Donald Trump. Uh, I think there's a pretty good chance he's going to do two terms there because the Democrats are so wildly out of touch. Re- remember, everybody, by the way, I'm libertarian, which translation means I hate all of you. You guys, you guys I, love it. I love this. Kellyanne Conway, oh my God, she's sitting on the couch with her feet on the couch and then uh, uh, Republicans, how dare you not stand during this one part of the president's speech? And then I, I'm just sitting here going, "We're 20 trillion in debt, guys. Can we can we stop yeah. <laughs> arguing about these things?" Uh, we're uh, at some point. Uh, I assume uh, we're gonna. This is gonna be a problem. This doesn't seem to be good for small countries when they get into debt and can't pay it back. So. Uh, yeah, anyway, I'm just sitting here terrified in Bullhead City, Arizona, about to start my meth operation to pay for my health care. So, you know, it's, uh, we're doing good, though. I mean, life is, life is good. Barry, life's good, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's, it's all there is. That's <laughs> It's all there is. Greatest Scottish response I've ever heard. Oh, my God. Barry, life's good. We need to put that on a coffee mug and sell that to our... That I'll be winning the poo, you be piglet, okay? So, yeah. Anyway, no. Oh yeah, no. You're saying the sage wisdom, so I gotta be piglet. I gotta be asking, like, 
life is good, right, Barry? That's all there is, Alex. And yeah, no, I'm coming to Scotland. All my buddies are telling me you got to go to Scotland. So yeah, yeah I'm headed. Yeah. Well, and I'm spending a lot of time in New York now, just because life is good out the there. Diet, the diet's out the window, though, for the, that time. Oh, uh, that time, that time, man. Yeah, I'm yeah, a, yeah. That's part of the reason I got a bunch of like really good friends. I try to. I'm really just splitting my time around the country because my rent is really cheap out here in Bullhead City, so I kind of set up the base. All my friends, dude, are doing this, like, intermittent fasting crap. Like, they're they're not eating for half the day, and then they have, like, one meal, and then they're in, they're, they're in really good shape, obviously, but I, it, it's so weird how you change based on the social circle around you, whereas... It, it, I didn't realize on a trip because I was doing that like in New York, right? Oh, or in uh, the East Coast with people I was hanging out with. And they, oh, yeah, just because you're on a vacation doesn't mean you have to eat like crap. Here, eat this Caesar salad. And it's, oh, yeah, by the way, that's possible. <laughs> you just don't think of it because it's such a good excuse to not eat well. What do we, yeah. we're going to a state. Well, I, I think it's important to also try the local delicacies. Oh, yeah. Then. Like uh, like ninety nine percent that nobody yeah. likes. Ninety nine percent of the uh, local delicacies in Scotland are deep fried, or they're uh, pastries or carb, you know, uh, plastic stuff. Yeah. So. Oh, slow down, slow down, go slower. I need to drink my coffee while I listen to this. <laughs> what kind of but pastries? The, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> there, there's also lots of. On the flip side, though, there is lots of healthy, nice, fresh seafood and stuff in that here oh, that you can go and get. So it, it is. It's all choices on what you want to eat. But yeah, if you come, you. I mean, the, I told you the the chip shops, you know, fish and chip shops here, mm. or the chippers as we call them, or the chippy, you know, in Scotland. And um, you've got to try. You get a deep fried pizza in batter. I am there. Oh my god. Yeah. And I just want—I want you to try that and see what you. Think. I booked my. Like, I I booked my trip yesterday. If there's really deep fried <laughs> pizza there. Yeah, there is. There is. There oh is. my! I, I remember God. the first time I tasted it. My little sister got, and I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, no way. And this is when. <laughs> this is when I was actually like looking after myself, and what, and I was like. She was like, "Honestly, try a bit," and I was like, "Fuck!" And she gave me a bit, and I was like, "Oh my God, that's amazing." And then one time I got, you can buy a quarter, you know, like slice or a half or a whole one. And I bought a quarter one. And I swear, after like the third bite, it was like, I can't eat anymore. Like, your mouth is just dry and like, you know, it's, but it's good. It's salty, it's cheese, it's deep fried, it's cholesterol straight into your bloodstream you know it's like it's good it's it's amazing how much your body will crave that i i was eating some dollar pizza in ny and dude this stuff was bad like it was just you know salt and carbs and grease and i was just shoveling it in my mouth every box yeah (laughs) yeah it was like oh my god this is amazing right and then yeah it was i was just sitting well and then okay um, this homeless guy who had a sign that said, you can buy me a, you know, give me a dollar or a piece of pizza, both work, right? He comes up to me and he's got one of these pieces of pizza with hot sauce all over it, right? And I mean the thick hot sauce, like the sauce that has a color, right? And he's going mm-hmm. to throw it away. And I'm like, bro, I say, 
to the homeless man. You can't throw away good pizza. <laughs> and he goes, it's got, <clears throat> it's got S all over it, right? And I was like, yeah, but it's a piece of pizza. And he goes, I don't want it. And I was like, I'll give you a dollar if you give me that pizza. And he was like, okay. And then I gave him five. He, he didn't seem impressed. Uh, but he, he moved on. And then I ate that pizza. And it's just, oh, God, dude, it's so good. Like, eating crap food is so amazing. We're definitely going to have to yeah. do it in Scotland, dude. Definite, oh, definite. That's that going to happen. Shits for the win. And then, yeah, I guess after that I have to... What do they call it now when people only eat fish as their meat? What is that, pesca something? Pescatarian. Pescatarian, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. I'm yeah. trying to come up with that word and sound smart, but I couldn't do it. Pescatarian, yeah. Pescatarian. Pescatarian. Yeah. yeah I've tried is, that is. for years. It just left me not with a ton of energy, but yeah, be pescatarian. Well, the fish here is good. It's deep fried as well. Oh, it's amazing. I, I'll take you to a I'll great chipper along the coast. Yeah. Yeah. Loads, loads of good food. You'll get the. I'll have you. 300 pounds by the time you get I here, like you, this. We only yeah. want to leave. Alright, let's answer some questions. <laughs> yeah. Alright, let's get the questions. And, uh, I'm starving. I know, man. Stuff. I'm hungry, too. I got, I got to cook breakfast <laughs> after this, but that's all good. Alright, let's go. Uh, okay, first one is... Guy tweeted the question I've got. So, we're just going to pull it here. I took a screenshot. So, we are... This one is from Eric Emerson, and he says, uh, I have noticed the trend of people overbetting the river two times pot as a bluff and for value. When is this correct? I, uh, I would be very curious as to what site you're seeing this on. Are live, in live poker, which I've been playing mostly this last year, I notice that there's more value bets for, there's more large value bets these days. I do find it tends to be the younger guys that are doing it, and the plays I see them do this with are, they're pretty clever. They're really, if we're being honest, they're rip-offs of Isildur and Phil Ivey. And not that there's anything wrong with that. If there's anyone to imitate, it's them. But they would do this thing, these pros back in the day, where they would know you had second pair and versus a normal-sized bet, they didn't think you were calling because you were too disciplined. So they would just bet 1.7x the pot trying to make their range look polarized to a missed flush draw or top pair, top kicker, or better. And mm -hmm. for whatever reason, for a very long time, people said, I think it's a missed flush draw I call, which begged the question to me, if we put all the missed flush draws in, do we still have to call? And on many Flopzilla analyses, you don't have to just call. It, it's... Uh, it ends up not being enough combinations. So it, it, was very, it was very striking to me that people called there, and six, seven years later, that's still the case. Uh, I, I watched a guy do this to wonderful effect in Montreal. Uh, there was a kid, uh, probably a local, didn't like folding, a uh, young guy, and he, uh, on the river with top pair, top kicker, just went for one point 
4x pot and got paid off just because the line looks so bluffy. And I think you're not all over bets are created equally. If you bet over pot on the river and it's 12 big blinds and your opponent has 55, you're much less, you're much more likely to be called than if you bet 63 big blinds, the pot is 55 and your opponent has 76 big blinds just before the bubble. Uh, that that guy's probably not making that call that often, just due to extenuating circumstances. Uh, that said, I think the overbet value bet is, I think it's woefully underused. I think the good reason it's underused with many of my students is because everybody just folds to you when you overbet uh, many of the times. Now, Going for two times the size of the pot is pretty adventurous. Many times, I would say a 1.7x or 1.6x or possibly even a 1.4x will have the same efficacy, the same effectiveness. There's Most people, when they see an overbet, just see, oh my god, an overbet. This is big. They don't really stop to think, well, how big of an overbet is it? It's just an overbet because that's such a strange occurrence when it comes to No Limit Hold'em. I believe when we look back at No Limit Hold'em in five, ten years, this is going to be the strangest part for us, is how nobody overbet uh, ever. An overbet is... Yeah, I was about to say, like, the only times, even me recently playing live, and the times when I was playing every week live, I've I, I can't even think of it. There, there are sometimes, but it's honestly less than five where I saw someone go, the pot's, say, 100x or whatever, and someone makes it, like, you know, 200. Uh, like, the only time I've seen that is in all-in. Like, the overbet, the only overbet I see on the river is all-in. You know, like, right. there's 30x in the pot and somebody shoves 60 right. or whatever. You know, or I never see someone actually with 100 and the pot's 30 make it, like, 40 even, or it's always either pot-sized or under, you know, like, just from my experience, which is weird when it is no limit, and you, you know, you it is called of, no limit for a reason, yourself. yeah, yeah, it, it, it's very strange to me, because there's many times, oh, one, uh, very basic example of when an overbet almost always works, uh, this is one of those strategies I probably shouldn't say on air, but it doesn't work for me anyway, because usually, actually, this is cool now, because it shows my work is working, uh, for lack of a better word, or a thesaurus, uh, but somebody at the table inevitably will go, oh, you're the poker teacher guy, so they always think I'm... Do I'm up to no good, right? And so I can't do this, but a really good example is the board comes three, five, seven, three of spades, five of spades, seven of hearts. You bet the guy calls. You know, a lot of the time he would have raised with a set, uh, a big flush draw, an overpair. He has 40, 45 acts. It, it seems likely he would have. you would have heard from him if he had those hands. So on the turn, you just bet 
1.5x the pot. And the guy sitting there at the top of his range is a 7. He's usually not that happy about that, even if the turn's something innocuous-looking like an 8 off-suit. And it, God help him if it's a jack, a queen, a king, a Broadway, you'd likely be opening with. And then the really fun thing is when they catch you, the next time you get to do that with the king or the jack or the queen and watch a guy with a 4 freak out, uh, it turns into this... Call you diabolical down. game of rock, paper, scissors, which fortunately I seem to be ahead on most of the time I play, but that's the funny thing. People get so up into the levels. Uh, this is this is more of an abstract thing of poker I've been observing lately, is everybody wants to level themselves so hard at the poker table. He's thinking this, that I, he's, I'm thinking that, or that... If you want to have amazing reads at the poker table, it's pretty simple. Don't drink the night before. Don't use drugs. And make sure the rest of your life is healthy. If you have a good uh, relationship in your life, a good social network, a place you enjoy living, you have good hobbies, you see reality for what it is at the poker table often. Uh, but if your life is just a mess, you don't see anything correctly because you believe the po the poker table is an extension of your life and there's just somebody hiding around every corner ready to kick your ass. And uh, mm -hmm. that, yeah, uh, that makes it very difficult to see things correctly. Uh, and, yeah, you can either... That's one of the reasons I love poker, Barry, is, uh, yeah... Yeah, I'm divorced and I'm in Bullhead City, Arizona. I'm the happiest I could be because I've trained myself to look on the bright side of things because I need it for my poker game. If I if I don't think in... Uh, obviously, I have to be a pessimist when I'm studying the game. I have to look for every iteration of a hand that could undo me. But mm -hmm. if I want to succeed in poker, I have to become an optimist. I have no choice. Uh, but to be an optimist, I, I have to enjoy all the little intricacies that piss me off because they're the reason I'm still in the game. Oh, this they're making us play 11-handed at the beginning of this tournament? Well, that's going to be pissing everybody else off, but me, I'm, I'm putting on my headphones. I'm not going to let this get me. Uh, it, just yeah. the ability to roll with the punches is built into becoming a poker professional, which I think makes you a much, I think it makes you a much happier person. And uh, it's like what you say, it's that whole if you're happy and you like, you take you take everything to the poker table. It is mm -hmm. it is an extension of life and that. And when you look at it philosophically like that, poker and so yeah, if you're in a mess, then your head's going to be in a mess at playing poker and not and like right. A lot of frustration and not really playing, you know, optimally, I suppose. And then it's guys like you that do it for a living can still bring a game, like their their C game or whatever, that will maybe get them there sometimes. Yeah, it's you know. uh, a lot. I, I've done a lot of work the last five years on something doctors say seeing reality on reality's terms. Excuse my... <clears throat> I This is something I've been working on. Whenever somebody tells me a story about how they've been wronged, 
are even better if I'm telling myself a story about how I've been wronged. I, as a practice over the last four years, I've tried to make myself uh, try to explain the other person's side. Right. So there, there's many times when you do that, you realize you're really in the wrong or your friend is really in the wrong. And uh, that, that is really helpful because you start seeing that the initial reality that's presented to you doesn't necessarily have to be the correct one. It, it, it can just be the first one that was presented. And uh, we tend to have a bias with our friends or with ourselves. We're the center of our own universes, so we believe whatever our first assertion is generally is correct because... It's our assertions that keep us living and breathing and technically thriving uh, for living in a first world country or whatever. Uh, but, um, yeah, to get outside of yourself and see reality on reality's terms is really important. Actually, it, it's really funny that Overbet play, the first time I saw that, there was a poker pro. He was hammered, so I'm not going to say his name. Uh, he did that play. He overbet on a three, five, seven, eight board. I had no idea what to do. I fold a seven. I showed a hand history to my friend. I showed it, and I was going to ask, "Can you do that with any two cards?" If I'm folding a seven, yeah, of course, right? Why doesn't everybody do this? Because I folded a seven instinctively, because nine times out of ten that's a set of threes, and it just occurred me. It just occurred to me right then. I I'd just been destroyed. Uh, there, oh. my entire flatting range was folding on the turn. I, I had been obliterated, and nobody had seen it at the table. There was no DJ drop. There was no cheering. There was nothing. Nobody even saw it happen. I just got completely destroyed, and I sent the hand history over to a couple friends and their first the, the first thing they said because they're professional poker players is wow so and so is really stupid that's a really bad play god he's terrible and I that wasn't even on my radar I, I, I couldn't even think of uh, when I show up to work I have to I have to assume everybody is doing something right that I don't understand yet. I don't have the luxury. I, I do not have the luxury of just assuming everybody else is terrible, but I realized if somebody had presented this hand to me, it would be under the context of, look how bad this guy is. And really, he just did a bet that got me to fold my entire calling range on the flop. That is a, quite a big discrepancy between what actually happened and what is being presented as happening. So you always have to look outside of it a bit. And going on to overbets, I generally find them really fun as bluffs. Uh, I, I do... I If you do get caught bluffing, uh, it's just time to go for huge value. That's usually something I do in cash games, if I'm playing in cash games for a few nights. I don't... In tournaments, I typically like to set up the triple barrel because many guys will not call off their tournament uh, if they have to turn over their hand, especially live. So 
a lot of times I think you're missing value by overbetting. I think you can suck them in to uh, the pot, and then you can uh, just blast on the river. And even if, as long as it's more than 70% of the pot, you'll get a fold, and that means you'll get the maximum number of chips from their turn call. So, yeah, uh, as for what other people are doing, I would recommend you get a pretty badass HUD, such as the Assassinato HUD. And you can just see on the river, okay, he's overbet, and there will be a breakdown that shows you the last three times he overbet, he didn't have it. And then, yeah, things get pretty easy from that point. Or the last three times he did it, he had a set. That's usually what I see. And then, yeah, it becomes pretty easy. Yeah, the nuts. <laughs> the nuts. Yeah. Ugh. Oh, okay, uh, next question I've got here is... All right, we'll do the email ones because they are there. I can pull them off now. Um, okay, this one is the one you sent me, Alex. So the guy wants to remain anonymous. Yeah. And, uh, okay, this is quite a big one, so I will read it out just uh, for a bit. Okay. There go. Um, hi, Alex. Just finished uh, Chapter 9 of your book on check raising, so... I was determined to pick a spot to check raise at the tourney last night. This hand came up and I chose to apply the check raise. It was a local tourney littered with older bad players, plenty of calling stations. Um, the hand, he has 8 of hearts, 7 of hearts. And his stack is 33k. The blinds are 200, 400 with a 50 ante and he is under the gun. Okay. In this situation, I would normally just fold from under the gun. However, the table was really weak, and I have about 82 big blinds, so I decided to raise it up. Okay. In the long run, in the long run I think this is a money-losing play, especially with so many calling stations behind me. As played, I raised to 1k, and uh, MP1, weak tight lady with about 25k, MP2, man in his 30s that just joined our table, with 30k, has headphones on, so looks like he knows what he's doing. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's got headphones on. Oh, he's a poker pro. Yeah. Uh, and big blind, a uh, big calling station, all called. The pot was about 4,700. Flop, queen of clubs, eight of diamonds, five of clubs. The big blind checked. I have showdown value and didn't want to bluff in a multi-way pot. Rather than c-betting into three players, I decided to check. Figured uh, if it checked around, I might have the best hand. Middle position one uh, checked, and middle position two bet only 1,100. Big blind folded, and the smallish bet just seemed really weak to me. Middle position one is really tight and never trapped, so I don't have to worry about her. After reading chapter nine from your book just hours ago, I was ready to drop the hammer. I checked raised to 5,500. Middle position 1 folded as expected, but middle position 2 tanked for 1 minute and called. I figured at this point he probably had a weak Queen X hand. If he had a flush draw, I think he would have called much quicker. Also, since I put him on Queen X, he cannot have a flush draw. Do you think this was a good spot for me to check raise? There are a few things that aren't in my favour. I know, it's a multi-way pot. Middle position 2 was not the pre-flop aggressor, so he's not simply c-betting here. He could be making a position play and betting, but with four players in, he probably does have Queen X or AX or perhaps tens or nines. I don't really have much of a read on middle position two. He late regged and just bought in for 30k. 
He was in his mid-30s and had headphones on, so he seemed like he was a competent player. Other than that, I have no read on him at all. He could be the biggest column station on the planet, for all I know. I do have showdown value, so maybe I should just call his smallish bet and keep the pot small and try to spike an 8 or a 7. I know I'm not your student, so if you don't feel comfortable answering, I would understand. By the way, I really like your book so far. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I'm comfortable answering, as long as we do it in this format, so we can help other people as well. Uh, there's an overall theory, theoretical thing that we'll get back to. Uh, the first things first, raising from uh, early, under the gun... I agree, probably a negative play if everybody behind you is just going bananas. Uh, generally, that's an okay hand to steal with because it does play very well multi-way. And if you have a slightly tighter table than it sounds like you had, and there's ever a chance you're just getting a number of fold downs or if the big blind is just going to call you... Uh, I, I think you could justify opening, but yes, uh, not not normally do you have to open there. Uh, that being said, we do open. It's fine. The board comes queen, five, eight, two clubs. We check, and this person in a multi-way pot makes a very small bet, uh, which, of course, has us puzzled because on a board with multiple gut shot straight draws, open-ended straight draws, flush draws, multi-way pot, a lot of, lot, of, lot of problems could present themselves here. Why is this person betting so small? So I understand your instinct of, okay, I have something, but I, on the turn, something I wanted to hear in your analysis is it's not a one-street game. It is a three-street game, and on the turn, any four, nine, jack, ten, king, ace, club, to a lesser extent of four, is not really a good card for you. Uh, so if you wanted to turn this into a one-street game, you could do so by check-raising and saying, okay, I'm risking about the pot to win the pot, that needs to work 50% of the time. I don't think you call this bet 50% of the time. I, I don't think you play. And I do believe that bet has a positive expectation. Uh, I do believe that bet has a positive expectation. Your check on the flop, going back to that, I, I agree with. You're either going to turn this hand into a semi-bluffing slash more on the side of bluff, uh, hand, and typically you need to be looking at the stacks to your left and seeing if they're really someone you can set up for a triple barrel. And number two, are they the types of people who would fold top pair by the river? If they're not very consistent regulars, I wouldn't make this assumption, and based on how you've described this game to me thus far, I really would not make this assumption. So I believe your check was satisfactory. I believe your open generally is competent. I believe the check raise does have quite a bit of merit, uh, given the disinterest you've seen in the pot. Now, that, those are all arguments for your play. I 
would not have run this play myself. The reason being there's a few mitigating factors, and my policy generally with poker these days, if you read my State of the Poker Union address, is there's no need to, uh, there, excuse me, there's no need to overextend yourself. The generic player these days is wildly overextending. You have a spot in this pot where you could execute a check raise that is okay. Generally, I find stacking okay plays to be the best way to approach cash games because you're in the action all the time. Uh, you get kind of an action player reputation. That allows you to be a little tighter than your image and pick up some huge pots when you do get some huge hands. In tournaments, I find it attracts many gamblers who are very attracted to the finite amount of money being invested for what they hope is a two, three-hour experience. With these players, I see, obviously, just due to the peculiarly small number of hands you play with people in poker tournaments, there's no need to set up a metagame. Uh, mm -hmm. That being said, also, given what they pay you, when you do have the hand, or what they pay you when you do decide to play in position. I have never known another time in poker history where I can three-bet queen-jack offsuit from the button versus a UTG raise for value. We are living in that era. We are living in the era where jack-7 suited is a fine open from under the gun, and if he gets three bet, he can call, and nobody at the table is going to go, what are you doing? Uh, in that era, I am playing my queen jack in position. I am not opening jack crap anything from under the gun that is suspect. I see no need to complicate matters when my profits are so stable in these later positions, are so stable when I open the 3x from the button and get the big blind to call me indiscriminately, so stable when I open a solid opening range and everybody wants to fight over it because three-betting is the new sexy thing. Stability is the most important thing about a poker tournament. Stability, not accessing every possible equitable chip that was available to you. Stability. It doesn't matter how many chips you have in the final three. It matters if you're in the final three. Stability, tight, aggressive play. This is not calculated aggression. This is not tight aggression. This is an okay play. This is the kind of thing I do a lot in a cash game, then I'll fire down. In a tournament, I have a few problems, which is it's a multi-way pot. There's other people to act behind me. Yes, they've looked disinterested, but that does not mean they're done. Uh, I have the problem that... I can't really depend on that bet size tell because this is a live game and I have no idea what these people think. Uh, I have a problem that this guy has headphones on. It sounds like a joke, but uh, people who have their headphones on typically are not there for the social aspect of the game, which makes it a little less likely that they are recreational players. 
it means generally they think they're there to make money. And if he's betting that pot, in a multi-way hand, it shows, oh, I'm coming out of my little cocoon of music or whatever it is to play this pot. It's possible this guy has something. I'm not saying it's definite, but I'm going to weigh the scales a little in that direction. And if I've got the scales weighed towards could possibly have a hand, patient guy, don't know what he's doing with an eight, don't really know what he's doing with pocket tens, uh, bizarre half-value hand on the turn that could get me in trouble if I check any bets really small. I'm just, I'm just folding here in a tournament. I... Uh, I'm folding or I'm calling if I believe the guy's not really a double barrel or triple barreler. There's not a ton of those guys anymore, but I might just call versus this guy because this small bet shows he's trying to keep the pot size a little smaller, which sometimes is just somebody with a five or a flush drop flippantly playing around, but yeah, I, I think you can call most of it. And you should always make a plan for Flop Turn River. These were the... The honest line that went through my head was call Flop Full Turn. That was uh, always know what you're doing on the turn to the most basic play, which is the most basic play is just he fires half pot. And yeah, I, I, I generally would fold in that spot. And the guy with the headphones, I think he was listening to the one out of the podcast. I'm yeah. <laughs> just owning you, ready to own you. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, okay, uh, we got time for one last question, and this one is an email. And this guy has sent in before because I remember his name. It's so good. It's from Hamish Kibblewhite. Yeah, is that how you say it in Scotland? Um, yeah, that's how I would say it. Hamish yeah, Hamish. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Okay, yeah. 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 He's, uh, Hamish, yeah. I think he's got Scottish family, and I called him Hamish or something the first time. All right. Yeah. No, Hamish. Hamish, uh, Hamish yeah. of the White Kibble. What is your question today? Uh, here it is. It's, Hi, Barry and Alex. The context of my question is with respect to a recommendation made in the You Flat Too Much webinar. I've gone over this webinar again in the past week or so, and one of Alex's recommendations is to record yourself playing and commenting when you make decisions in play, then reviewing the recording afterwards. I would like to know whether Alex has recommendations for recording software. For example, I'm aware of Camtasia, but I'm not keen on forking out several hundred dollars for the software if there is a pretty reasonable, cheaper alternative. Alex has mentioned in the webinar that he asks his students to record themselves. Is um, I've actually, sorry, he's just he's done that. Uh, that's really the question twice he's put there. He's pasted it twice in the email, so I was just going to read out exactly what I've already read. Uh, and the next bit is, if Alex wants to add in a segue into a rant about Twitch and whether you should commentate just to yourself or commentate to the world at large, that would be kind of interesting as well. And whether the software needed for recording yourself and the software needed for Twitch broadcasting have any overlaps. Regards, Hamish. I have never segued once in my life, Hamish. That's not how... <laughs> we are on topic here at the One Outer Podcast. How dare you? How dare you? No. Uh, there is a recording software that is $30. I can't remember what it was. I think you can also get open broadcast software for... I believe it's free... 
and then it can just record the screen. And that's a good little backup because it records audio, it records the screen. Generally, what I recommend people do, this was born out of my trying to keep notes and not being able to not being able to write in a notepad while I was playing several tables, what I began doing was recording my sessions and then taking a microphone. And when I had any decision of consequence, I would list out my reasons for doing so. Now, I found this was... It, I imagine if Tiger Woods, when he got his stroke worked on his uh, swing he probably had to walk through it and talk it out uh, for the first thousand, ten thousand times because the muscle memory for his old swing was so engraved uh, poker can be like that you just see bet in this spot all the time because it used to be a good play it's a good idea once in a while to do a recording of yourself and say, I am betting because this, this, and this hand is going to fold. And then if you sit there and go, wait a minute, that hand doesn't fold. That hand doesn't fold anymore. Oh, God, I got a dated strategy here. I got to follow this up. And I started having much more fun with my sessions because I would say, well, perhaps I could do this. Well, perhaps I can do that. Uh, maybe, and then I started trying to challenge myself, and I'm going to do this on the flop and this on the turn and this on the river. And uh, it became much more of a game to me, and I think that's really when poker really opens up to you is when you stop thinking about the money or you're playing with money you can afford to lose and you're just fine with losing it, and it becomes a game. It just becomes fun and I started thinking about timing tells and stuff but if you don't want to add all that stuff uh, randomizing timings randomizing open stuff it, it, you can go very far down the rabbit hole as to making your poker sessions active uh, if you don't want to go that far down the rabbit hole I would recommend just talking through your big hands and writing down the time signatures if this sounds like too much work for you, I do you think I would like to ask you, do you think Kobe Bryant ever how long have you been playing? If you've been playing for a few years and you've never watched your own footage of yourself, could you ever see Kobe Bryant going two nights without watching footage of himself? Uh footage of his own games, footage of the opponent's games? All those guys watch footage. That's all they talk about in the NFL, which is supposed to be a league where a bunch of lugs just run at each other at high speed with their helmets on. They, all they do is watch footage. Counter-Strike guys watch their own games again and again. You can spare 20 minutes with your Wheaties in the morning. I assume you're eating Wheaties and not Cap'n Crunch. Barry, what's your favorite type of Captain Crunch? Uh, we don't get that here, I don't think. Well, we can oh. now. You can import all these uh, crazy-priced American cereals for like five, six pounds a box here. There's some of them. Some of the supermarkets sell them in the world food aisles. Are these, <laughs> they're these specialist 
specialist shop selling uh, American, world food, uh, Twinkies, and yeah, Twinkies and Apple Jacks and all that. I've had Apple Jacks. I got them once eh. uh, from like an American. All right. Did, did shop. you guys? I've never had cotton. Did friends. you guys have the ads for Apple Jacks when you were kids? No, it's not. It's okay, not no, I, I, I just wondered if Nickelodeon in Scotland just didn't get rid of certain things. No, no, it was all British ads, uh, Cocoa Pops and Frosties and everything. Frosties. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. God, it's so weird yeah. you guys call them Frosties. We call them Frosted Flags, yeah. The uh, the correct answer, the best type of Cap'n Crunch is the Peanut Butter Cap'n Crunch, just so you know in the future. Peanut Butter Cap'n Crunch for the win. Uh, anywho. There was, I, okay, going back to Foodberry, there was a box of Captain Crunch here in this house when I rented this place. I, I took a look at it. Oh, on arrival. Huh? <laughs> on arrival. Yeah, I took a look at it. Looked pretty new. There was nothing else in the house. I figured I'd have me a bowl. Bro, I was ready to vomit for the next four hours. It's just nothing but sugar. That's all it is, is sugar. And I hadn't had breakfast cereal in like 10 years or something. And yeah, dude, I was about to die. I was just... Well, then it occurred to me, we give this to children every single morning and then expect them to sit still and listen to... A fifty-eight-year-old woman prattle about on about something. How how is this going to work? <laughs> how is this going to happen? It's like, well, you put them yeah. on uh, Adderall, obviously. That'll calm them right down. And uh, yeah, anyway, uh, going back to the topic at hand. <laughs> see, we segue. We, yeah, we segue, never segue. Serial. We never segue. Yeah. No, uh, there is a. There is very cheap options out there. I think I just gave you a free option. I believe if you just Google $30 video capture, I think it'll come up. Somebody has it. Yeah, there, there's lots of things. I think even some computers now have stuff like that built in right. in the software if you go through right. it, really. You know? I just have a Camtasia copy, so I've never looked at it. But uh, I think my buddy told me he has Camtasia and he has something else, and he was saying... He just uses anything besides Camtasia because the files aren't two hours long. I mean, they're not two gigabytes when they're done. That You can have a lot of them. But uh, anyway, uh, I would... About Twitch broadcasting, well, we Twitch broadcasted last night. I feel like we should start Twitch broadcasting these one-outer episodes. Uh, it, you know, I, again, uh, very... You're going to have to quit on your rants about certain ethnic minorities. <laughs> you know? uh, sometimes, I was going to say, when we record this show as, you know, live, but there are sometimes edited and certain construction workers or hitmen can chap out. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes there's technical uh, difficulties or bathroom breaks and stuff. I don't think it really translates great to Twitch, but... You can certainly, I think, twitch your end, I think. But, right. Um, I, yeah, I you know, think... When you're sitting here with deep-fried pizzas in your box... Right, this stuff, is true. It's not really... We should... Yeah, let, let's just know. be honest, Barry. We don't want to compromise our private time together. That's why. <laughs> no, that's it. That's it, you know. And like you say, we can't speak about certain people. Yeah. You know, it's, fun. <laughs> it's funny. I can make that joke with Europeans if I make that with Americans. It's like... What? 
like, dude, are you gay, bro? And it's, uh, well, it's, it's okay. One of my best friends now is like French, right? And like French people are much more affectionate than Americans. And it's like, it's so normal for like French and Italians to say to their male friends, like, oh, I can't wait to see you. And then they like hug when they see each other. Like if you did that yeah. the, with me when I was a kid, like, I'm, uh, uh, what? <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, like, what are you yeah it's so yeah. weird because like, I know it, it's funny, just the jokes you can make in different parts of the world. And I keep forgetting that in America, which is I'll make a joke like that. And like, yeah, the, like, the college-educated people will laugh, like, ha, 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 like, but that's it, right? Like, the normal people will be like, dude, what in the world? But, yeah, Twitch, uh, I love Twitch. I, I love, there's something about getting in front of a microphone and having an audience and having to entertain that audience off the top of your head. That's, <laughs> that's quite a thrill, I can't believe I get yeah. to do it. It's uh, now, unfortunately, I said entertaining. We all know that's a misnomer in regards to me. But uh, you know, Barry here has a few jokes <laughs> on occasion that really hit home. But yeah, it, it, I, I can't believe I get paid to talk. And I notice whenever we do the Twitch streams, I don't really get a ton of sales. Or it doesn't. I had somebody ask me, like, does Twitch really do anything for you? And my, my real thought is, I don't know, but it sure can't hurt. I don't see it. And it's amazing how everything's connected now because you can Twitch stream and put it to YouTube. And then YouTube, you can send it to your newsletter. And by the end, you can have a thousand people watching a little show you and your, uh, you and your buddies just did over some microphones on the computer. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, so I'm trying to do more of that. As far as, like, grinding, right now I'm getting all my crap together with After the Move, and normally I start working on my taxes in January, and by this time I have everything figured out. I haven't even started uh, this year because I, I was just too busy running around like a chicken with its head cut off getting out of Costa Rica. Now I'm here. You know, I had to have a few days where I, uh, oh man, it's depressing. It's, uh, it, it, you have to take, it, it occurred to me, you have to take, come on, Alex, that's the Mexican that's food. That's the Mexican food, but it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's interesting how the Greeks used to say depression is a part of life and they scheduled around it. And I, I thought I would move back to the States and just be fine, hit the ground running. And once the final tables were over in Montreal and once all the Dennis and I couldn't go running around goofing off in the middle of the night, uh, going to the card room, going to shows, once I wasn't with my friends in New York, once it was just me alone, it, it, it really hit me. You had a home in Costa Rica. You had a wife. You were about to have kids. Uh, you had the dogs. You had the car. You had the garden. You had a lemon tree. You cooked in your own kitchen. You, you worked out in the addition to the house. And, uh, 
yeah, you were with that woman for seven years, and uh, now it's over. Like, the last time we talked, like, there, it wasn't even, wasn't bad, but it sure as hell wasn't friendly. And this is somebody, this is somebody I grew up with, quite literally. I was still a child when I met her. I was 21 years old, and, you know, I'm almost 30 now. And that was the, mm-hmm. and it was so dumb to me, I didn't show up here and go, like, and sorry, I'm breaking down my speech patterns as I get emotional about this, but... It didn't occur to me, you're probably not going to do that well the first week. The first week, you're probably just going to be staring around, looking at everything. The problem was I was on a tight schedule to begin with, and if you just spend a week to lay around hating your life, uh, you get pretty behind schedule. But now I'm feeling amazing because I get to go after my dream again, and... uh, I am more qualified than 99.99% of people on earth to go after this dream. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, That does give me quite the confidence boost, which seems to help every other part of life. And, uh, yeah, I really want to Twitch stream again because I love you guys. Uh, (laughs) By the way, imagine being a poker player, not having that hot of a year, and then having to play for your income to pay for your divorce. How good do you think you'll play? Mm-hmm. I, that's not even an issue with me because I got the one-outer listeners. Because the one-outer listeners... The other thing is every marketing guy goes, oh, don't tell them about your personal life. And I, I, I got more letters of good advice from smart people than anybody could have after all that. And it was amazing... You know, it, and doing live poker 101 was incredible too because just every week I had these like 20, 25 hyper motivated people ready to learn. And I had my newest materials and my newest ideas, and that made me study more than I've ever studied and work harder than I've ever worked. And it gave me the money to pay everything off. And then I went to Prague and final tabled and made more money for them and me. And it was like, oh, this is amazing. And on that note, I guess we should wrap it up, Barry, huh? Yeah, yeah. So I am going to, as mentioned at the start of the show, and Alex talked about it already, if you aren't already signed up to Alex's newsletter, then you really need to do that. Because as I say, the last email it was worth uh, the price of entry, which is <laughs> newsletters free. Uh, and uh, that, I genuinely think that could have been, as Alex said, repackaged in a little presentation and sold for... Uh, cash because it was so much info in it so get signed up for Alex's newsletter so Alex without further ado how can people get in touch with you sign up for the newsletter and buy your webinars etc if you guys want to write me write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com and I will uh, by the way a thing about emails guys the last few days I haven't been responding to them uh, because I've been doing four lessons a day if you're requesting lessons, I couldn't have fit you in these days anyway. Only reason I'm not doing four lessons today is because I have to run to a doctor, and instead I'm only doing three uh, to give you an idea of how packed things are. But if you do write me an email, I do respond to all my emails personally. Uh, so I do appreciate it when you guys write in. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter at pokerheadrush.com. Uh, 
check out my blog, PokerAndrush.com. It's a little thing I put together, but uh, once you get past the dreadful homepage, it looks pretty nice. Uh, you can check out the latest battle rap. Yes, I battle. How strange. Uh, battle rap, uh, strategy articles, blogs, uh, book reviews, just the fun stuff. I like to write. Uh, I like to share it, so I, I I think you'll like some of the things I put together. If you're a fan of poker or trying to make it as a professional poker player, I think most of it uh, is pretty pertinent, uh, especially all the short black people jokes that I did when I battled against 1C Slim. That was uh, that that that's very relevant uh, to the topics uh, of the day. I think you'll find that illuminating. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, check out my YouTube channel. Uh, we got some new things coming up. And, yeah, j the big thing is to sign up for that newsletter uh, at PokerHeadRush.com because that will send you all the free content persistently. Uh, and, yeah, I have yesterday I recorded just a little poker show. A uh, little little poker talk, little hand history talk, little life talk with my buddy Riards Dobles. So if you enjoyed this, uh, listen to a gregarious Latvian and I discuss poker in an uh, upcoming video on YouTube. But you got to sign up to the newsletter to do that. you got to go to PokerAdrush.com to do that. Okay. And uh, keep your questions coming in for Alex for next week. Questions at OneOuter.com. We... We do have a few ready for next week, but there might be one that squeezes in, depending on when I read the topics and stuff. But we will get to it eventually, and we will. Alex will answer it. Um, okay, thanks for listening. Until next week, cheers. cheers. Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set-and-go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner-take-all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.